Hello. This is Dr. I. And this is Dr. Joe. And contrary to popular belief in what you just heard, we are live today. We are live and and in the house. Glad to be back after our after our Holy Week break. I know. Um, And I missed you. I missed you. I um, thought about Easter while we were gone. Yes. And I thought about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the resurrection. I remember one of my pastors when I was young and still trying to figure out this whole spirituality thing. He said, after every Good Friday in your life, there's always a Resurrection Sunday. So regardless of whether you practice Christianity or not, just remember that. After every time, it seems like you're just down for the count. You've been hung up, crucified, beaten. There's always a resurrection. And I'm reminded of that when I look out the window. Yes, as we look out the window today, physically in our central Ohio location, we see sunshine. And I feel a little bit sunnier after taking a break. Just a reminder that as we enter the vacation season, not all of us, and I will stress us, have the funds if we stay within our budget to do all the exotic traveling that we'd like to talk about. And we're going to talk about budgeting and money, our topic in just a moment. But a mental vacation is a great thing. It really is because your body gets tired and sometimes you're not really aware of how tired your brain is until you clock on somebody. When somebody says something to you and (laughs) boom, there's an argument coming down the street. That's right. And, and, and also there, there are times when I take time off from work and I ask myself, gee, when did I ever find time to work? Mm-hmm. And so just that, that healthy balance all the time. When you need a mental vacation, a spiritual vacation, let this time of resurrection just remind you of that, that we need that renewal all the time. Absolutely. And um, today I got two of my buddies from the banking business here from the financial services business and um, certainly there were some people that spent some money for their Easter bonnets and their clothes and all that kind of stuff to show up in church looking like uh, Diana Ross right and I said I didn't have money for vacation but I hope our guests will really convince me that somehow I do yeah 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 (laughs) our first guest is a woman who has spent her career in banking and helping people figure out their financial dilemmas. Um, She is a head of household. She is dynamic. She is um, a contemporary. She's younger than I am, so she may know some new stuff that I don't know. But I would like to introduce to um, some and uh, present to others, Monica Spencer. Are you there, Monica? I am. Good afternoon, Iris. I thought you were describing yourself. Oh, really? Oh, well, you know what? We do have some things in common. We do. Yeah, yeah. Today, we probably could call it the Single Moms Club. Because <laughs> we know how to like take that. care of a family, don't we? Yes, we do. Monica, tell our audience a little bit about your journey. And have you met Dr. Joe? I want to make sure you meet her, too. 
I don't think that I have. I don't think I've had the pleasure. I'm glad to virtually meet you, and I'm glad we can introduce you to our listening audience as well. Thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. So what's your journey in kind of the uh, Reader's Digest version? Okay. So I always like to start with that I hail from Cleveland. Um, I'm so proud to be um, from that city um, and come from a very modest background, um, blue-collar parents. Um, Came to Ohio State, and that's how I ended up here in Columbus. And I swore the whole four years I was there, I'm leaving this cow town when I graduate. Um, But the city had changed in that four years. Um, And I started a career in banking my senior year of college, um, started as a teller. Um, And one of my experiences that has truly impacted my life is my first manager looked like me. Um, And it helped me to appreciate what the future could look like for me. Um, I ended up in a management training program, eventually became an assistant branch manager, branch manager, and that's where my experience started in understanding consumer credit, consumer lending, and how to help people with their personal finances. Um, My journey eventually would take me into business banking, um, and I did that for several years, uh, went into commercial real estate, learned how to underwrite um, deals, some of the largest credits that are in a bank, and then I went into the community development lending space, um, which is where my passion met my professional experience. Most recently, um, I just left U.S. Bank, where I led a team of business bankers here in Central Ohio. And starting Monday, I'm going back into the community development space, um, working in underserved communities, um, helping companies retain and create jobs. That is such a eloquent career. And that's kind of like how I got into banking. Um, our our paths are very similar. However, you're a few years younger than I am. But <laughs> any rate, um, banking was a career that a lot of black people had never been introduced to when I got into it. And mm-hmm. um, when I look back on my banking career, Monica, I'm thankful that I got into a career that I knew nothing about because it was a great foundation for the rest yeah. of my life. Can you say that? I I absolutely agree. Um, Not only has it helped me, but it also helped me to do some things differently when it came to financial education for my own children. Dr. Joe spent a few years in banking, didn't you? I did, in bank marketing and helping consumers understand what banking products and services were available to them, but even more important, how that helped them with their day-to-day budgeting and cost of living. And Monica, mm-hmm. weren't you in Eastmore in the branch? Um, I was. Yeah, yeah. So um, during the time that I was um, managing branches, um, I admit, I started out in the Beckley, um, what was in uh, the Fifth Third Bank in Beckley is now a Panera Bread. So I often <laughs> sit. I often sit in the in, in the seats where my office used to be. Um, but then eventually my journey would take me to Huntington Bank, where I spent a large part of my career. I was there for a total of 15 years. I worked there twice. 
And the last branch that I managed before I went into business banking uh, was in Eastmore. It's there on Maine, Maine and Jane. I can see you there, too. And that's one difference between then and now. We used to go into physical bank mm-hmm. locations mm-hmm. Yeah. and have relationships mm-hmm. with bankers and tellers. And we don't do that anymore. And mm-hmm. so some of us miss yeah. the face-to-face interaction, but that means there are so many technology tools available to us. To yeah, technology came in and got rid of some people. Um, yeah. But... I'm glad I learned the banking face to face. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know what? Um, those of us that learn banking face to face, we're never, you know, one of the the things about that's great about technology is that it's great when it works. That's true. But there are times where things that are out of our control, the technology fails us. And what I found is that those of us who, you know, learn how to do debt to income ratios with pencil and paper and by hand. Um, and who learned, you know, our introduction to banking was having those face-to-face conversations and understanding clients' needs. Um, we fare well when the technology, you know, is not available. And so no matter what form we use, whether it's face-to-face technology, the, the question becomes the same. How do we go from day-to-day, especially in an economy like we have right now, and figure mm-hmm. out how to make ends meet? and maybe mm-hmm. have a little bit left over. And in particular, we know that that black women, which we all are, make significantly less, about 38% less, based on research Dr. I did, than white men, and 21% less than white women in the same job. So we'll talk about pay equity in just a moment, but just start from the basics. What can you tell us about managing our money? Yeah. I'd like to share this portion um, of my story. So in, in my household growing up, um, my dad was the breadwinner. He worked in construction. My mom was at home until I was about in third grade. Um, and not, I mean, a lot, like a lot of black families, more of it was focused on our parents just didn't want for us to worry. Um, but in some ways, they're, the things they didn't tell us about money really handicapped us when we got out on our own. So I was in a household where we didn't really talk about money. And if you brought up the question or asked like, wow, how do we pay for that? Or how do we get this? Or why can't we have that? Or why can't we have this? The response was typically, don't worry about that. That's grown folks business. So by the time I got to Ohio State um, and you had credit card companies that were lined up in the student union and offering you a t-shirt or a free water bottle if you signed up for an application. Um, as 18-year-olds do, you sign up for it. And before I knew it, I had 10 credit cards um, that were $10 a month. And it was interesting that I was a business major, and yet I didn't realize that 10 times 10 means $100 a month that I didn't have. So by my junior year, I was not only in school full-time, but I was also working two part-time jobs just to keep up with credit card debt. The good thing for me and for my story is that, as I mentioned, I started working at a bank my senior year. And so I started to learn some things and understand about credit and about interest rates and how, you know, that coach purse, I really could not afford it and should not have been buying it at what was in Marshall Field. Um, But I was able to get myself out of debt relatively quickly by the time I got my first full-time position um, in banking. What that then did was it changed my attitude and the way that I approach talking about finances with my three children. And there's a, a big gap in their ages, but my um, oldest son, who's now 30, 
I can remember he wanted a TV for his room. And he particularly wanted a TV that was a TV and a VCR combo. So his dad and I, um, at the time, we told him that you can get that TV, but we want for you to save half the money. And what we wanted to teach him is, is that when you make major purchases in your life, you need to plan and to save for it. And that young man saved all of his birthday money, uh, report card money. And I can remember the day he came to us and he put on the table paper money, coins, rolled coins. And he had done his, re we had him do the research and look through the Sunday papers to pick the best deal, taught him about looking for sales and coupons. And he showed us the TV at what was in Sun TV back then. It was like $149.99. <laughs> you remember, don't you? Half, <laughs> he put his half of the money on the table. And um, we were so proud of him. Um, and that was his first lesson in money management and saving. And so um, later that night, we put the money back on his dresser. And um, he came back to us the next day, and he was like, no, this is my half. And I said, I know, son, we're actually gifting you the TV because you understood the assignment and you, you got the lesson. Um, and so we took that money and opened him up um, a little savings account. Um, but since that time, with all three of my children, um, RJ, Alexis, and Nicholas, um, I taught all three of them very early on about the importance of paying yourself first. So that means that whether it's a little job or money that you receive for report cards, that you put some of that in savings, you pay yourself first. And then you go to your responsibility. If you owe someone money, um, that you pay that. Um, and then when you want to make major purchases, that you save and you plan for that. That's good advice. Now let me ask you this before we take a break. Marriage. Yes. Some, some couples don't talk about money until yeah. it's um, at a confrontation about mm -hmm. money. Did yeah. you have a plan when you and your husband got married about money management? Because I know I didn't when I got married. And from what I hear, many couples don't have the same understanding about creating and keeping money. Yeah, um, we did not have a plan. And, and I'll tell you, it was because the relationship didn't start out the way that it should have. Um, and not making judgments on others. This is just for me and for my life and decisions that I would have done differently. Um, my ex-husband and I, we moved in, we lived together before we got married and we had lived together for a couple of years. And so because we lived together, we kind of divided the bills. He paid this, I paid that. We both had our own separate checking accounts. Um, that attitude and the way that we approach money continued even once we got married. And the bad thing about that was is that there were decisions that were made where money was being spent that neither the other, you know, knew about or there weren't conversations that were had about, um, I mean, we had conversations about major purchases like homes and cars, but everything else, uh, we kind of lived really separately. Um, when it came to that part, which was not a good thing. So, so I like the way this is evolving into a life cycle discussion. So you talked about your child at a young age being yes. taught about the value of saving money and how to save money. And 
remind us of the ways that he was able to accumulate his wealth? Did he do chores? Did he shovel mm-hmm. snow? What did he do? Yeah. So he had an allowance that he received for um, doing chores around the house. Um, he was raised primarily um, as a Jehovah's Witness. So we did not celebrate holidays, but he received money for promotions in, in school, like going from elementary school to middle school to high school, um, money for report cards or other accomplishments that he had done um, in school. Um, and then there would be special um, things that he would do, maybe for um, seniors in the neighborhood. Maybe they needed their garage cleaned out, or maybe they were wanting help with flowers being planted in their yard. Um, he would help with those things. So those were ways. And then, of course, every every young man growing up in the Midwest shoveled snow. So, well, they used uh, to. Also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so those were ways that he would earn money. And then by the time he was 16, he got his first job. Do you hear that listener shoveling snow? This past winter, that was such a novelty that there was a news segment, a segment on the news about young people who were shoveling snow. Mm-hmm. That used to be an everyday occurrence mm-hmm. when we yeah. were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, yes so then by the time he was in his teens, you said he was able to get a job. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about going to college and being tempted by the offers for, quote, free money in the form of credit cards which Mm -hmm. you learned, as most young people should learn right now, if they haven't, that credit cards are not free. It's one of the most expensive forms of debt. We'll talk in a whole separate show about student loans. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about making the decision to live with your significant other before the types of marriage questions that Dr. I asked about. So a whole, we, we always like for our listeners to think about not only what our guests are saying, but what they can do. And what they can do is to start at an early age with their children, their nieces, their nephews, even in terms of gift giving. And yep. instead of giving stuff, kids might not like getting money unless you say, gee, this is money you can save toward mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and, and even if you're, we're going to take a break in just a few moments, but even if you're saying you in your own life are past that young age for you or your kids, you can always mm-hmm. start that at any time. What money can I save? I have money taken out of my pay every two weeks, so I don't even think about it anymore, money going into yeah. savings. Before we take this break, i got to stop and ask this question. Living together. Yeah. Now... Theoretically, that's a way of saving money, combining mm-hmm. obligations. Mm-hmm. But what's wrong with it? Um, we were very young. So we basically went from living at home to I lived one year in the dorms, one year with a roommate, um, one of my roommates from my freshman year, to now um, I was living with my boyfriend. What that ends up doing and you're just too young to even understand or even have the conversation, one of you or either both of you may have bad financial habits or you haven't even developed your attitude as it it pertains to money, that now you're getting ready to combine with someone else who may not have the same attitude or understanding or responsibility when it comes to money. And those habits follow you into that relationship. So I'm a believer, and this is something that I have taught all three of my children. You need to have a time period where you are on your own. 
that time period, you then learn what you truly like, what you truly value, and you also learn responsibility in being able to take care of yourself. It's also an opportunity for you to be able to be selfish. You can decide where you want to live, what you want to drive, do you want to stay in this city, move to another city, without having to take someone else's feelings into consideration. Then, when you are ready then for a relationship, you will have had that time by yourself to develop some good habits and financially, and also to be able to have some real mature conversations um, with your partner on how it is that you're going to take care of not only your um, ongoing expenses, but also things that you're planning for in the future. Monica, we're going to take a quick break. Good. This has been excellent. Absolutely. We need to take a break. break, (laughs) And when we get back, we're going to, you know, talk more about um, a grown up plan for money. We'll be back in just a few seconds on the window. We are back on the window talking with Miss Monica Spencer, who is a career financial expert in banking. And I want to go back to your career um, and talk a little bit about salary and and, and uh, moving up the corporate ladder. When I was at one of those institutions, um, I went to the copier one day and found the payroll records Mm. on the copier. Somebody Mm -hmm. had left it there by accident. And I saw where a white male who had a a senior level position was making twice as much money as I was with an MBA. I was frozen that day. He was somebody's nephew and of course, mm-hmm. you know, salary records were real confidential. I yeah. wasn't supposed to see that. Now, did you have an experience of learning that you were underpaid at the bank like I did? Or did you even know what the other salary levels were? Um, I will say that um, I did I did not. But I, but I had a similar but a little different experience when it came to promotion so as you know iris in the in the banking community um you know there's a a lot of stock and pride that's put in and also the compensation package looks different if you are an officer an avp a vice president Mm -hmm. a senior vice president and so on um i so there was there were two things that happened and all happened in in the same year um, I was pregnant with my third son, I mean my second son, I'm sorry, my third child. And, th- and, I, and I, I take a lot of pride in this because he was born in October. So keep this in perspective when I tell this story, um, the bank had their top sales club that was based on the top 15 bankers in the company. And it was based on how much you grew your portfolio mm-hmm. in revenue. Mm-hmm. It, um, I did that in nine months compared to 12 months for the other 14 bankers that would be recognized along with me that particular year. So I made our top sales club, was performing very well, had all this experience in banking, 
um, and a diversified experience because in business banking, as you know, Iris, is very white male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not only the only person of color, but also only one of three women that were um, relationship managers. Um, and so with that, um, when I was getting ready to leave for maternity leave, one of my colleagues, um, she had put in her notice and was leaving the bank. And she had, in this space that we were in, there was cubicle space, and then there was office space with a window. She had one of the offices based on seniority. And I knew with her leaving that I was next up for the office. I go on maternity leave, I come back, and the office space was given to one of my counterparts. Not only did he receive that office, but very shortly after that, it was announced that he was being promoted from an assistant vice president to a vice president. And I had more tenure, not only with the bank, but in banking period, a more diversified resume, same educational background, um, and both of us had made the top sales club that year. And mind you, once again, I did it in nine months. He did it in 12. Um, And I was heated. And this is something that I give advice to, to those that I'm mentoring. First of all, one of the things that really helped me is you have got to have mentors or coaches who look different than you and who understand the company culture and the company policy. So I had a really great mentor um, and someone at the bank that he was a white male, so couldn't look any more different than I did. That I was, we had a relationship where I could go into his office and close the door and first just vent. So I went and I vented to him and he was familiar with all the players that were on our team and what all was going on. And once I got done, he said to me, Monica, I'm not saying that becoming a vice president is not important. And I know that that's important to you and I get it. So please don't think that I'm minimizing that. But I'm going to tell you this, you're fighting for the wrong thing. And I sat back in my chair and he then started to educate me. And he said, do you know that within, you know, when you get a vice president, you don't get a increase in pay. And I said, yes, I know that, but it's a principle of it, right? It's a recognition of not only your experience, but your accomplishments in banking. He said, absolutely. He said, but did you know that with your position that there's a thing called a senior business banker and it's an increase in grade. And if you get an increase in grade, you get another week's vacation. You just had your third child. Now you tell me what's more important to you, another week's vacation or a title? And I had to stop and think about that. I wanted the extra week's vacation. So he said, here's what it is you need to do. Your manager is too prideful. He's not gonna give you the promotion if you just go and ask for it because you're gonna bring to light that they made a mistake. Um, But here's what it is you do. You make them think that they're giving you a concession by making you a senior business banker and go and ask for that. And so I did. And a week later, I got not only promoted um, to a senior business banker, but also received an email from HR saying, congratulations, now with this increase in grade, you also get another week's vacation. Now, eventually the vice president title would come, um, but, a couple of things that I was proud of in that. Number one, that I took a step back and I took stock of my situation. And I looked at what was most important to me. 
Number two, I had a really good mentor and someone that I could talk to who understood the company culture and also understood company policy. And number three, I made out even better than I had planned for um, being educated on some other things that I can do in order to feel better about my compensation package at that time. That is exactly what I can say I learned about negotiation in the banking yeah. world. Uh, it's a whole different culture that mm-hmm. I would say I would not have been exposed to in any other industry other than yeah. the financial services industry. Now, as we wrap up our conversation with you, give us some advice for black women that are head of households, managing mm-hmm. their career as well as managing the growth of their children. The first thing that I would say is, is make sure that you have a career that's helping you to live the life that you want to live at home. And um, I, I know the next thing I'm going to say, some people may not like hearing this, but sometimes that means that where you're at in life and the responsibilities that you have at home, you can't go for that position that you really would like to go for because of the time and the time investment that it's going to take. But that's okay, because you will have time to be able to do that at a later date. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing is, is that everyone's household looks different. So for one household, a mother or father, if if he's a single parent, you may be able to afford to help your children with certain things. But in another household, you may need for that child to pitch in. So as an example, in the conversation I was talking about my oldest son, there came a point when he was in high school that I told him, son, I can help you to get a car, but you're going to have to pay your own car insurance. You're going to have to pay for the gas, the oil changes, and the maintenance on it. So with that in mind, here's about how much my premium is going to increase every month. You need to front me 90 days of your car insurance. And then you need to be paying it ongoing every month. That's going to be your bill. And so parents, we need not feel embarrassed or feel like that we're putting a burden on our child because we need for them to be able to help with that. When you have a household where it's just one income, there are concessions that have to be made and there are times that you may have to ask for your child to be able to pitch in and we shouldn't be embarrassed about that. The last thing is, is that teaching our kids about money management. Be honest and open with them about what the household budget looks like so that they understand this is why we can't afford to do this or this is why we now are able to take that vacation because mom saved and here's what it is that I did. Those are such important lessons that children can learn. They watch everything that we do. And so just seeing those things, and and Iris, as you and I had talked uh, uh, like, you know, a few days ago, there's so many things that we learn just from having watched the women in our life. And so it's the same for us. Absolutely. And I just want to thank you, Monica, for sharing your wisdom and congratulate you on the success you've seen in financial services. Um, Dr. Joe and I can certainly relate to a number of your um, comments today as what we've seen with our own kids now that they're grown and think they know everything. Um, and, and you never know everything, but we do appreciate what you've said today and, uh, just thank you and wish you well on your new journey. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me today. Okay. I'll see you soon.
All right. Okay. Bye, Dr. Joe. Bye, Dr. Bye thank you. Bye-bye. Well, we're getting ready to turn a corner here. We have another guest that we're going to get introduced to our listening audience that had a similar career, but in a different uh, paradigm, I should say. Um, Miss Ona, are you there? I am, Iris. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much. And I want to introduce you to Dr. Joe. She's here with me, jo- Joanna Williamson. Um, we are partners in this uh, journey of looking out the window, and we are delighted to have you here today. Um, tell us a little like a, a Reader's Digest version of your career journey. Oh, well, let's see. It's, it's been a 40 plus year career journey. It no, 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 you're 19- only 35 years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in my wildest dreams, I'm 35. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> but, you know, it's important to put all this into context because uh, sometimes people think they don't, they're just not aware of you know, how far we have progressed uh, over just the past 40 something years. You know, when I first started out in banking, it was because President uh, Kennedy had uh, passed an executive order mandating employers to hire African Americans in management positions. It wasn't that they wanted to. There were quotas that he enacted for federal uh, employees and for federal contractors. And so these banks are federal contractors, and so they were required that they re, they were uh, forced to hire uh, 16% of their uh, workers. Um, they were uh, required to be African Americans, and so as a result, I was able to launch my uh, investment career. But it never would have happened if those laws hadn't been enacted. And slowly over the past you know, 40 years, they've been whittled away and diluted. And so now we just have people of color and there's no quotas and it's all about, you know, um, diversity and inclusion. But, you know, a lot of a lot of other people, you know, uh, from other countries have taken these jobs that were originally hard fought by African-Americans. But that's as an aside. But that's how I started out in banking. Um, I started out in international banking, I got a job uh, within the bank in the commodities lending area. And, you know, I, I started managing money for wealthy traders. My clients are, were traders at the uh, Mercantile Exchange in Chicago, and I would finance memberships. And in our division, um, I also managed money, but I also made loans to Wall Street investment banks, and I financed barges and towboats and, you know, uh, grain elevators, anything related to commodities and futures um and that that's really how i started with you know my interest in wall street was because i had to take stocks and bonds as collateral for my loans you know i was managing about 500 million dollars in loans and investments and those were my first wealth management clients you know i invest their treasury bills and bankers acceptances and you know stuff and so i just became fascinated with wall street so I got an MBA and got a job on Wall Street. <laughs> Moved to New York and, you know, became an investment banker. Did you just, Did just you grow really, up in a in a wealthy family? I did not. Um, you know, I grew up on the South Side of Chicago. Um, my uh, My dad worked at the post office. My mom was a teacher. 
and they just wanted the best for us. So we were just a middle-class family. We were one of the first African-American families to move into uh, this neighborhood called South Shore, which runs along the lakefront, where, um, interestingly enough, Michelle Obama lived right around the corner from me, about four or five blocks away. But she was about um, six or seven years younger than me, so I didn't know her, but that same neighborhood that she writes about so you know, lovingly in her book is where I grew up. So great neighborhood from that standpoint, but also, you know, not without its challenges. Um, we had street gangs, you know, I wasn't able to really go very far a lot of times because of, you know, the street gangs. So I ended up reading a lot. And as a result of that, I excelled in school and, you know, was able to get scholarships to college and, you know, just uh, it, it helped I guess, spawn uh, this career, <laughs> you know, which has certainly been interesting. It's taken me to a lot of places and, you know, I've been able to help a lot of people uh, through investing, which is the best part about it. Uh, Ona, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes, but since we're talking about investing, our first guest walked us through this whole financial management thing starting when you're a child. And so I want to start at the other end of the age spectrum. I want to retire. And so when I look at the market now, and I probably should have been looking at the market for the past few decades as it relates to retirement, what can you tell our listeners about investments, retirement, getting ready for it, what age they should start? Start talking to us about that now, and then we'll pick back up after the break. Okay. Well, you know, the thing that I try and tell people is retirement, if you're 20-something or if you're 18, it just seems too far off for people to really focus on and to be interested in. But think in terms of creating an investment portfolio that you can live off of that you, where you don't have to work. I think if you think about it in those terms, that somewhat makes it more interesting and more relevant to people uh, who are young. But if you're ready for retirement, such as, you know, you and I, um, then it's a question of how to allocate the assets that you do have and how to increase the assets that you have. Because retirement is not what it used to be. You know, people, the life expectancy was 65 when Social Security was enacted. And now people can expect to live into their 80s, you know, and beyond, depending on their demographics. But, so, you know... the we're going to yeah, stop go you right there for just a moment as we go to break. But as we do that to our listeners, reflect on that thought Ona put out there. Think about what it would be like not to work or at least to work only doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And we'll talk about how to plan for that financially when we come back on the window. back on the window talking about that all-important dollar and how to manage it in your life. We're talking to author Ona Lewis. We'll get to that author part in just a moment. But before we do, let us remind you that you can send us feedback now or before the show or after the show at our email address, thewindowfeedback at gmail.com, thewindowfeedback at gmail.com. Or you can listen to this show or any of our prior 50-plus shows in our last year as we begin our second year. 
you can do that by going to our website, thewindownow.com, thewindownow.com. Now, Ona, we, we want to talk to you about retirement. That's where we left off and how it's never too early to start. But Dr. I reminded me during the break that you're an author. So let's stop for a moment and do a shameless plug about that. Tell us about that. Well, uh, thanks, Iris. Yeah, um, I wrote, um, it's called Get Rich, Stay Rich, the 2022 Monthly Planner, uh, the Professional Investment Investment Manager's Guide. It's an ebook. It's available on Amazon.com. And it really just answers uh, some of the, it provides investment strategies for um, generally people who are uh, already investing, who have accumulated some assets. It's more from a wealth management perspective. Um, because I have had a chance to manage money for some of the wealthiest families in the country, you know, various points in my career. Um, I didn't get to tell you this part, but um, I managed $6 billion for J.P. Morgan and so uh, in their wealth management department. And that's really where I learned uh, some of the more sophisticated techniques of, you know, that the wealthy have used for generations. To, to accumulate wealth, to keep their wealth, to pass it on uh, to generations. You know, this generational wealth concept that a lot of our millennials have is uh, something that, you know, the wealthiest Americans have been doing for a long time. So I get questions about investment strategies a lot, so I just decided to put them in um, an easy-to-access book, uh, easy-to-read book, because there's a lot of investment books out there, but sometimes they're very intimidating for people. So I put it in the form of a planner so that people could take notes, um, you know, digest it in a very simple form. You know, it's just, it sh- should not be intimidating. And also because it's in a digital format, it allows people to do searches, you know, so they can select a word um, and look it up on, you know, Google and just get more information at, at their pace. So that's the idea of it, <laughs> but um, it's available on Amazon.com, and it's you know it's ten dollars. It's, it's really easy. It's, it's not that deep, intentionally so, but to give people an idea of some of the strategies. You know, so for example, um, a lot of people know about margin accounts, but um, a lot of people don't know about donor advised funds, for example. You know, um, so just things like that. Um, tax loss harvesting, you know, where you match up some losses that you could have in your portfolio to offset gains in your portfolio to reduce your taxes or um, covered calls. You know, a lot of people that own long stock positions, they don't sell calls to just increase their revenue, but they could. So just simple concepts like that are included in the book. And tell us the name of your book again. Um, It's called Get Rich, Stay Rich. 2022 monthly planner, the professional investment manager's guide, and it's um, just simple Wall Street investment strategies to achieve and grow wealth. And um, yeah, it's a it's a Kindle book, so you can get it there. You can also go to my website, which is getrichdayrich.net, and download the PDF. And hopefully, people will find some strategy in there that resonates with them that they feel that. You know they can use I do recommend that people uh, work with a financial advisor though because these are more sophisticated concepts and you know uh, it helps to have someone with some experience to guide um, the investor through them but definitely um, 
these are concepts that are available to more and more investors today. Sometimes even online, you can get them through, um, you know, some of the larger investment platforms, uh, and, and a lot of it is do-it-yourself. So, and a financial put advisor, that out there for yes. people. A financial advisor costs money, but sometimes you have to spend money to make money. So if you look at it as an investment, if you can do that savings we talked about and put together some pennies and get a financial advisor, a good one should be able to recoup that money very quickly. But so the, for the remaining time we have here today, though, let's go back to basics. So we want to talk about retirement but again, but in the meantime, you mentioned the term generational wealth. Talk to us about that and what our listeners should know about generational wealth. Well, you know, it's really exciting for me to hear so many people talk about this concept and, and who are working so diligently to create that. Um, especially uh, the millennials and the Gen Z um, investors. Uh, many of them have just decided that this is something that they're embracing. I remember seeing this one um, basketball player. Uh, he was one of the top picks, and, and he was being interviewed. And, uh, you know, he was saying, uh, well, I chose you – know, he could have gone into the NFL as well. He said, well, I chose the NBA because I felt that it would give me the greatest opportunity to create uh, multi-generational wealth. And I was just kind of shocked because you generally don't hear that coming from the typical NBA player, especially at age 21 or age 19 or whatever age he was. And so it just goes to show you that this is something that is top of mind for this generation. And all it means is accumulating enough wealth for you to live off of independently and your family to the way that you want to, and then leave some for your heirs. And uh, so hopefully the, the rest of your line will not have to work again. And that is a concept that many wealthy Americans have been, you know, cultivating and developing for, for centuries. And unfortunately, we were the way that uh, a lot of them accumulated that wealth, you know, was through um, slavery and the financial exploitation that has, you know, created this global economy that that we uh, now find ourselves in, but still at an economic disadvantage because of these centuries of, you know, not being able to participate and being the asset that others use for their own wealth creation. So they are, you know, very motivated about catching up, and I think we all should be. Um, it's going to be easier for them because they have the time to accumulate this wealth. You know, for older uh, African Americans who have not begun this accumulation, it's going to be more difficult, but it is still possible. You just have to decide, you know, what your values are. You know, are you going to spend every dime that you get or are you going to invest some of that? You know, it's a choice. You know, how much are you going to spend on hair and nails and purses, you know, or, or on other things that you don't necessarily need? You know, you could invest some of that. So these are the choices that we all have to make every day and it's not easy but you know it can be done with proper budgeting and and just you know prioritizing what's important to you so a, a, a that's, good friend of mine made me do a spreadsheet it was a very painful exercise just an excel spreadsheet and list all my expenses things i had to do every month like mortgage things i wanted to do every month like you just said hair nails vacation and list mm -hmm. every month what I had spent, which was a first step in then planning out how much I could spend. And, and that was eye-opening for me just in the last year. 
I passed that tip along to my son in his 20s in the last few months. It truly changed the way that he began looking at his mid-20s year old life. He began saying things like, Mom, I don't have enough money to do whatever. And I said, wow, that's mm-hmm. a that's a novel thought. <laughs> so what our guests are saying here today is it, it, it's start young. There, there is no such thing as too young to start thinking about money, not becoming obsessed with money, but thinking about it, planning for it, saving. And then for those of us for whom that advice is a little too late, it's never, you're never too old. If I'm understanding you, Ona? That's correct. You have to start where you are. You know, it's just uh, a lot of people don't realize that um, there are so many opportunities to generate cash flow. And that's what it really is about, is having multiple streams of cash flow to carry you through your retirement. And then, you know, uh, not but not to spend all that cash flow, to invest that, to reinvest that, and then to set up your estate plan so that you can leave some of that to the next generation. And every day is an opportunity. You know, we can't get back those the, the past. We can't undo that. But we can start today to make better investment choices. And, and this is a tough time because we're seeing the market um, decline because of rising interest rates. And so people are, you know, concerned about losing money. Well, if I invest today, will I lose that same money? So you have to invest with a long-term perspective. So the noise you're hearing in the background now is traffic from our urban location, which reminds us we're in an urban neighborhood as we speak. And people might be thinking, I don't have it like that. Mm -hmm. It's all I can do to pay the bills every month. And have bus fare. Right. So so what would you say to folks who who are saying, gee, I just don't think I can do that. I'm in survival mode. You know, it's true, um, but a lot of times people don't realize the opportunities that they do have. So, for example, if your job has, you know, any kind of savings plan, a 401k, um, 403b, um, whatever they have, try and take advantage of those things, and um, you'd be surprised how that tends to accumulate. Um, if you are um, self-employed, then you know definitely take time to establish a SEP IRA or a KEO. Um, you have to take responsibility for this. There's no cavalry coming, you know. And if you don't do it, it's not going to be done. So it just has to be important to you, just like um, you know everything else that we do. And you know, let's just be honest. Um, we make time for those things that are important to us. You know, we find a way to do those things that are important to us. And so it, a lot of times it's a question of, um, you know, is this important to me? To we make time and, and sometimes, and, and again, still not taking lightly people who are struggling to make ends meet, but sometimes we find the money to do things that we want to do and we don't consciously realize how much we're spending and not spending and any money that you're putting in that old piggy bank for somebody who just needs it broken down as simply as possible any money you put in that piggy bank is investing what about this cryptocurrency we hear about ona so cryptocurrencies are um, digital virtual assets Um, They're basically created by um, multiple computer programs running a mathematical problem. 
and uh, at the end of the problem, a coin is generated. But it's not a physical coin, it's just a virtual coin. And uh, it's easy to transport or transfer between two points. So you can do real-time transfers 24 hours a day. People want to think of it as, you know, a store of value comparable to gold. Um, I, I don't really feel that it's the same as gold. It's not the same as, you know, a currency that's backed by the full faith and credit of, of a government. But um, it, it has allowed certain people to make a lot of money, especially our millennials and Gen Z that we were talking about. Um, they have embraced cryptos in a way that I've never seen. <laughs> they just, you know, they, they stack their bands and they just are happy. I've heard, you know, people talk about, oh, my son has half a million dollars in crypto. And, you know, this is just something that they have found is an easy way for them to participate and to invest. And so I'm 100% for it if that works for them. You know, people have to find something that works for them, that they can do, that makes money for them, and where they can, um, you know, see a track record of success. Because everything isn't for everybody. So uh, if crypto is a way for an individual to make money and they are successful, I say go for it. What about, as we wrap up our investment show, what about them good old savings bonds? Are they still out, out there? You know, it's interesting because the savings bond uh, is one of the few places where you can get the U.S. government's guaranteed uh, interest rate, and it's above 7% and it's rising. You know, the problem is they're in physical form and a lot of people lose them, but um, they're great investments, and I wish more people would, would take advantage of them. You can also have your tax return, uh, your uh, refund, uh, placed in savings bonds. You can receive it in a savings bond uh, to a certain extent. So it's definitely something people should check out and embrace more. But but if you buy a savings bond, figure out, you know, get a, get a safe deposit box or someplace to put it where it's going to be safe, where it won't just, you know, be forgotten. And because uh, a very large percentage of them are never cashed in. <laughs> and, like 35% of all the ones that have ever been issued, you know, are, are not cashed in. So that tells me that people are losing them. And so that's the only downside, but that can be remedied. So yes, savings bonds are the best way to get a high yield in today's investment environment. Well, here's what I'm going to do as we wrap up this show. I'm going to go home and remind my son as he starts his new job, fills out his paperwork to check off the box that says, put even just a small amount of my pay every two weeks in a savings account. So he'll just forget it's going in there. And on the way home, I'm not going to stop and get French fries like I normally do. I'm going to take my French fry money. Well, I'm not. I'm going to get my ice cream on the way home. I'm telling you that right now. Um, Ona, thank you so, so much. Say the name of your book again and how to get it. Um, it's a, Thank you, Iris, and thank you, Dr. Joe. Uh, it's called Get Rich, Stay Rich, the 2022 Monthly Planner. Um, it's Simple Wall Street Investment Strategies to Achieve and Grow Wealth by Ona Lewis. It's available on Amazon.com or on, uh, on my website, GetRichStayRich.net. And go to our website, thewindownow.com, to hear this show and pass it on. And our 50 prior shows over the past year, thanks to our listeners, send us feedback at thewindowfeedback at gmail.com. I'm going out and enjoy the sunshine. 
that's where I'm going, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm getting in my car and driving away and get that ice cream. <laughs> Enjoy your <laughs> weekend, you everyone. Week, everybody. Join us next week Thank on the you. window. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.